What is up, sons and daughters? Welcome back to the second episode of the Locks of Saturday for the 2021 football season. I am joined with the full crew tonight. Robert, Chris, Brett, Ed, and Mike has graced us with his presence. Mike McDaniel, a busy, busy man in the month of August. Mike, how are you doing? What's up, boys? You missed the ACC Atlantic, so good for you because that's probably the hardest division in college football to try to pick. I think most of us had teams going four and four. But tonight we are covering the ACC Coastal Division. We will cover all of the teams from Duke to Carolina and everybody in between. A little bit different format tonight. We're going to spend a little bit more time on Virginia Tech. Of course, we are a bit more Virginia Tech-centric on this podcast, so spend a little more time there. We're not going to bore you with Duke and Georgia Tech the whole time. I mean, something else I want to mention, next week we will move to our national preview. We're going to go over who we think is going to be in our playoff, uh, who we think is chance for the Heisman Trophy, who some surprises can be, conference winners. Uh, going to want to tune in for that one. It's going to be really fun. I think I have some dark horses in there for the college football playoff this season. And also, just like last year, we're going to keep score of all of these. All of these picks are coming back at the end of the season. Last year's winner, Chris, dominated towards the end of the season, especially. Pretty sure Billy Ray still owes him a drink. Um, might own him two drinks at the end of this season. As always, winner gets a drink from Billy Ray Mitchell. So, Billy Ray, if you're listening to this, you owe Chris a drink at a There's bar of his food. choice. Some sort of compounding interest to that. So that's like multiple drinks at this point. So the juice is running. I'm keeping a tab, but literally metaphorically, let's make it happen. Make it happen, Billy Ray. Make it happen. All right. So we're just going to get started right off because people want to talk football. And good thing about Virginia Tech is they are naturally our last alphabetically in the ACC Coastal. Let's start it off with the Duke Blue Devils. Coach Cutcliffe, is he running out of steam in Durham, North Carolina? The Duke Blue Devils have a win total from Vegas of three and a half. Some key games for Duke this season. Uh, and these are key games again. Key games in terms of over under on the win totals. Not key games in terms of just the biggest game of the season. Two that I have are back-to-back weeks to start the season in the both non-conference. And they are on September 18th versus the Northwestern Wildcats. And on September 25th against the Kansas Jayhawks. Since 2016, the Duke Blue Devils are 2-2. Two and two on the win totals versus Vegas. Guys, what are we feeling about the Duke Blue Devils this season? I'll be brief here. They stink. They just, they really stink. They're not as bad as Syracuse, but they just stink. Last year, they finished bottom three in the ACC in both total offense and total defense. And the only really bright spots of that team were was their pass rush. They had Chris Rumpf and Dimukeje, and both of them are gone. So there is really no hope here for this Blue Devils team. I have them winning three games under. Yeah, I'm the same way as Irby here. Another bad year. 39 turnovers last year with a supposedly supposed to be decent quarterback that turned out to be trash. Now they have a QB that's never even started a college football game coming in there. Trenches on both sides are much younger, and that's where the games are won in the ACC, especially now. Uh, it's going to be another tough go for Cutcliffe. He won't be fired. They'll probably ride him out till he retires because it's Duke. Uh, I got them three and I got them under with three wins, uh, being Charlotte, North Carolina, A and T, uh, and Kansas. But and that Kansas game, bet the under no matter what. I'm already. I don't even know what the total is going to be, but we're betting that under when that game comes around. Going to be the debacle of the year. We'll, we'll keep that in mind to bet the under when uh, that week comes up on September 25th, which is a big week um, for the ACC football. Chris, hit us up with the Duke Blue Devils. 
Yeah, I continue with the trend here. This is a definitive under for me. Um, I was actually borderline locked, but three and a half is so low. So there is some margin there for them to actually exceed that, but I'm not confident in it. But overall, they returned the least amount of production talent from last year of any team in the ACC. I think one of the lowest holes in Power 5 football. This is going to be a bad team. I don't. I actually had to do a double check if they had really bad talent last year and the fact that they lost that talent could that have actually been a good thing? I tried to zag a little bit, but uh, overall, no, because they didn't replace them with viable starters as well. So I don't see four wins on the schedule. And uh, Brett mentioned it, uh, the September 25th game against Kansas. That's not only going to be a terrible foot game, uh, excuse me, football game, but uh, that has the potential to end all humanity if that game comes to a conclusion. Like that, that could be a mark of the end of the world there. So that's going to be such a bad football. It might rip a, a hole in the space-time continuum. So uh, keep your eyes out for that one. Yeah, I'm not going to beat a dead horse here. That seems really bad. The only way that they can hit that potential over would be to beat both Charlotte and North Carolina A&T, and I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll split there. Um, I do think they jump up and bite somebody in the ACC play just for the fun of it, but I'm going to go with under at three wins as well. I'm actually kind of shocked everyone's going under uh, here. Well, well, Mike, we, we'll get to you in a bit. I have them going over. I have them going four and eight on the year. I, I think, look, I would not sleep on them beating Northwestern. I know Northwestern is one of the best coached teams in the country, but my goodness, they lost everybody from that team. Uh, Charlotte is not a very good team and they lost a lot and, and they weren't good last year. I think they beat Charlotte. They beat North Carolina A&T and then they have Kansas, who's the worst team in power five Uh Yes, are is that kind of a toss-up game? They do have it at home. I'll, I'll give them Kansas. And then all they have to do is win one game in the ACC. I think in terms of value, Duke over three and a half, you can make a case for it. I, I wouldn't put a ton of money on it, but I could very well see them jumping up and taking somebody from the ACC. And then all they have to do is go chalk in the non-conference. Mike, what do you have for the Blue Devils? I mean, they have a favorable schedule in that they don't leave the state of North Carolina until their seventh game of the year. So that's a little quirky. Um, it's really going to take them until October 16th against UVA, which really isn't even that far of a trip for them. So, I mean, if you wanted to play devil's advocate, you could give them the over just on the basis of their schedule being somewhat favorable. But I'm going under here. I don't think they win a game in the ACC. I'm not even sure they'll beat Kansas on the 25th of September. Yeah, they're at home, but I. Both teams are real bad, so um, it's really hard to have any hope with Duke. I mean, unless Mateo Durant just goes Superman in four games, I think it's going to be really hard for him to produce any sort of offense consistently. So, yeah, I'm going under here. Gunnar Holmberg is a fantastic quarterback name. I'm not sure how good of a quarterback he actually is. He was a decently highly touted recruit out of North Carolina. Uh, behind him, they also have Luca Diamant from Southern California, who was a much more highly touted quarterback. So they could have something brewing in the quarterback room if one of those guys can develop throughout the season. But yeah, they just do not have any talent on the outside to speak of. Let's move on to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, a team that has plenty of talent on the outside and in the backfield, but they just haven't been able to put it together in the interior. Brett, the Yellow Jackets are a building program. A lot of people said sleeping giant. Their win total is at five this season. They have a lot of key games this year that I think could be toss-ups, especially in the month of October, really just the whole month of October. They host Pittsburgh, then they travel to Duke, 
They travel to UVA and then they host Virginia Tech. Since 2016, they are two and two against Vegas on the win total. Brett, George Tech Yellow Jackets. Uh, Jeff Sims is pretty legit. He's pretty fun to watch. Um, I just still think George Tech's struggling to find an identity besides a good run game and a quarterback that really hasn't proven he can really sling the ball yet. He, he doesn't have any weapons around him, really, but he still hasn't been able to sling it. Collins is a good coach. Uh, they'll be improved, but they have probably one of the toughest schedules in the ACC, honestly. Um, I think in an easier schedule, they can get to five or over five, but I have them going under at four wins with Northern Illinois, Kennesaw State, and Duke for sure, and then with a surprise win maybe with UVA. Um, I mean, I don't see them really being able to beat anybody else on that schedule easily to me for definitively say they're going to go over or even push. So that's what I have to say. Yeah, I also have under here. Um, I just don't think they're there yet. I think they'll get there to the point where they can, you know, be bowl eligible and that kind of thing in the years to come. But for the time being, I'm going to go with under, but I'll actually lean slightly towards a push. I think five wins sounds about right. I just don't see them getting over that this year. Yeah, I'm saying with the under, I agree with that. And Brett, um, this this is the team that was last year, one year away from one year, being one year away. This year, they're one year away. Um, I just feel like, they have a really good talent, especially at the skill positions, but they're all sophomores. You can see some people trying to sneakily pick them to go over. It's kind of like the trendy smart pick right now, but uh, Brett hit the nail on the head. Their schedule is just absolutely brutal. I just I don't see them doing it consistently this season yet, but keep an eye on them because they still have a program brewing down there in, in, in Atlanta. So, Speaking of schedule, they are one of the few teams in recent college football history to have five top 15 opponents to start the season five. They have at Clemson, North Carolina at Miami at Notre Dame and Georgia. There's five losses right there. Uh, and look, I don't think this is a bad team. I actually think this is a good team. I have them pushing and going five and seven on the year. I do think that they have a couple gimmies in the non-conference. And I just look at their backfield, Jeff Sims, Jameer Gibbs and Jordan Mason. Those are three really explosive guys you can make a play at any moment. I like what they're doing offensively. Defensively and on the offensive line, I think they still need to beef up a bit. You can definitely tell the recruiting hasn't gotten to that level yet. They have been beat up on the interior. And really, it's just about turnovers, I think, for this team. They had 25 turnovers last season. 25. Uh, that is not good at all. That was one of the worst in the country. It lost them a few games. I think if they can correct that and we see some of that turnover luck switch to the other side, this is a team who could get to five wins. Uh, but again, they do need to improve in the trenches. Robert, the rambling wreck. Are they there yet? Oh, boys. Let me tell you about the rambling wreck. Are you guys ready to be shocked this season? Because I am. My, I am going I believe, out on a limb here. I believe Yellow Jackets sting you. They don't shock you. Are y'all ready to get stung this season? Because you're gonna. There it is. My official prediction is that Georgia Tech is going to make a bowl this season. I think they go six and six. Um, I like what Jeff Collins is doing a lot. I mean, he took over a horrendous, horrendous rebuild, like one of the worst, walked into one of the worst situations that a Power Five coach has had to walk to walk into in recent memory. Not the worst, but one of the worst. Their defense last year was really bad, and it will probably continue to be bad. But I said this last week, there are not a lot of good defenses in the ACC. I mean, you've got Clemson and Pitt, maybe, 
and every defense is going to be average at best. So if I think in the ACC this season, if you have a, an explosive enough offense, you can kind of mask your defense a little bit. I think this will be a year for overs in ACC games. And, you know, I mean, they have Jameer Gibbs. Sam hit on this, but he is an electric, electric playmaker. He does it all for them. He can carry the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He does a lot. And then you have um, Sims. And I think Sims's problem last year was he turned the ball over a bit too much. But I also think that he was thrust into a pretty unwinnable situation. I mean, to think he was a true freshman, four-star recruit, but a true freshman thrown into the starting job day one in a COVID year um, is not a very not a very favorable situation. I think he felt a lot of pressure, especially with how bad they were last year. I think he felt a lot of pressure to make plays. And this year, I think some of that pressure will come off. He'll get a little more comfortable. And I think that just with the playmakers that they have on offense, they can get hot in a hurry. And I think you'll have you'll see some games where they score 10 or 14 points, and then you'll see some games where they score 35 or 40. Um, and ultimately, in the ACC, if you have a good coach, a good quarterback, and a good running back, more often than not, that is a recipe to at least be bowl eligible. So it'll be topsy-turvy. I have them upsetting teams like Tech, Virginia Tech, and Pitt, but I think they'll lose to Duke. Like That might be Duke's one ACC win of the year. The end of season is going to be rough because they finish with Miami, Boston College, Notre Dame, and, U- and uh, Georgia all in a row. I think by the end, it'll seem like the wheels are falling off a little bit because it'll be hard for them to win even one of those games. But when the dust settles and you kind of look up, Georgia Tech... Georgia Tech is going to be six and six, and they're going to have a bowl berth, and it'll be one of the most uh, it'll it'll be a rambling wreck season. Let's say that. I'm going to ask you a quick question because you're the highest on Georgia Tech so far. If Georgia Tech, with this schedule, which could very well end up being the toughest in the nation at the end of the season, if they get to let's say seven wins, they pull an extra upset in the ACC. Is Jeff Collins ACC Coach of the Year with this schedule? If they get to like seven. I think barring like a Miami or UNC like 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 type season, I think Jeff Collins will win the Moral Victories Award and he will get the ACC Coach of the Year. Yep. Mike, your thoughts on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets? I think you bet the under here and then lean on the push. I mean, I think this is a four or five win team on paper. Um, I think if all goes right, they could potentially get to six. And I think the the juice is certainly there if if you want to bet the over. It's just, I, it comes back to the schedule for me. I mean, this is the toughest schedule in the ACC. It's, depending on what metric you look at, the toughest or one of the top three or four toughest in the country. You have at Clemson, home against North Carolina before you even get out of September. Then you have Pitt. I mean, you do get Pitt at home, which I think is somewhat favorable. But that, that closing four-game stretch of at Miami, home against BC, at ND, and then home against Georgia, like Irby mentioned, I mean, that's a pretty tough stretch of games. So in my opinion, for Georgia Tech to get to six, it's going to have to be you know, beating Duke, beating UVA on the road, upsetting Tech and Blacksburg. Like That's going to be the recipe, in my opinion, because I think the closing four-game stretch is going to be really, really difficult. I mean, I could see them potentially beating Boston College because that is at home, but at Miami, at ND, and then home against Georgia, I mean, that's a death sentence for the schedule. Um, I just have a really hard time seeing them get to six unless just something crazy happened. They pulled off a couple upsets. It would have to be more than one in my opinion. And I just don't see that happening. Definitely is one of the tougher rebuilds in the country, but also a real sleeping giant team. And I think 
you know, if they do have a really good season, you could be looking at Georgia Tech climbing the ladder in the ACC Coastal. All right, so here's where things get juicy, boys. The Miami Hurricanes. A Vegas win total of nine and a half this season for the U. Some key games for them on October 16th at UNC. College game day, potentially, in Chapel Hill. The next week, they host NC State. And then the next week, they travel up to Pittsburgh. So that's a really tough three-game stretch for the Miami Hurricanes. This is a team that's returning, Derek King, who should be healthy for the season. We're hearing all good things that he is healthy and ready to go for this season. Since 2016, again, the Miami Hurricanes are 2-2 two and two versus the Vegas win total. Chris, the Miami Hurricanes. Take, take off your orange and maroon colored glasses for a sec. This is a really talented football team. Yes, the talent is there. And that's the thing with Miami. The talent has always been there. I feel like every single season I need to be like Bart going up to the chalkboard and writing, I will not pick Miami to be back. I will not pick Miami to be back. And then every year I do the same thing, like another cartoon, like Lucy with holding the football for, for Charlie Brown coming up. I go to kick the football and she just pulls it out away from it at the last second. That's in a nutshell, picking Miami amongst any other metaphor where it ultimately leads to disappointment in the universe. So with that, I think this team is likely more of a three-loss team than a 10-win team. Um, And for me, it ultimately whittled down to uh, Derek King's health. I mean, this is uh, not one, but two right knee injuries he's had in the last, I think, three years. Uh, One was a meniscus in 2018, and of course, the ACL tear in last year. So he can talk about all of the little, like, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life and everything's great, grand, wonderful. But, you know, that is a essentially a program that's resting on the knee of Derek King being healthy all season. And us as Virginia Tech fans, we're talking about the theoretical health of Braxton Vermeister. When you look at the actual not good health of Derek King, and we think that they're going to be a great program. So I, I don't see it. I'm finally going with the under, which means they'll probably end up going over. But uh, for me, the story 2021 will be once again, Miami has great talent. They fail to capitalize, which is now known as just, being Miami. So uh, I'm not going to do it again. Uh, I'm picking the under. Yep. I agree. I think you touched on kind of all the same points as that I'm going to you know bring up here, but I will also go with the under at probably nine wins. So they miss it by half a game. Um, and my, you know, my other note here is Derek King better hope he makes that a week one. Um, Cause if he doesn't, it's clearly going to go under, but yeah, I, I don't know how you can rely that much on the health of one player. Um, even if he misses two weeks, all of a sudden you're looking at a, a probably an under situation here. So I'm going to go under as well. I'm going to go over. And against all my better judgment, I made this change last minute. Guys, this was the last minute change I made. And, and look, talent-wise, they are maybe returning the most talent of any ACC team. Offensively, they are returning literally everyone. They did not lose a playmaker on offense. And some of the guys they do, they get Charleston Rambo to slide into the starting wide receiver position. He's a senior. Uh, They'll have Navon Donaldson sliding into the right guard position. He's another senior. Uh, Defensively, they have a ton of talent. They have to replace three NFL defensive ends. That's going to be tough, but the way this program recruits, they're going to be able to recruit the defensive end position. Uh, I, I just think schedule-wise, it lays out nice for them. They do have that tough uh, tough three-game stretch with North Carolina, NC State, and Pittsburgh. I do have them losing at North Carolina, but I think they bounce back from that. And to end the season, uh, 
Georgia Tech, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Duke. I think they can handle that month of November. And I think you're looking at a 10 and two football team. I'm not even going to entertain them beating Nick Saban in Alabama in week one. Uh, and I think this team is showing a bit more of the maturity from Miami that we haven't seen in the past. Last year, they avoided the bad loss. They didn't have that week where Miami didn't show up. Their two losses last season were Clemson and Notre Dame. I, I, no, North Carolina, excuse me. There was Clemson, North Carolina, two very, very good football teams. They also have a very, very deep and talented secondary, which, again, we're looking at kind of the offenses that they will play, where Virginia Tech, very good receiving core, should throw the ball more. North Carolina, obviously going to throw the ball a ton. You know, they might have what it takes to match up with those two teams, and I think they can go, if they go 500, in those games, I think they can win the ACC Coastal. I have them winning the ACC Coastal and going to play Clemson in the ACC Championship game. But Chris, Ed, you guys said it. It's all about Derek King. It is 100% about Derek King. He needs to be able to push the ball downfield to his playmakers. He's a guy who likes to work around the line of scrimmage in the RPO, not push the ball downfield too much. That's how he stays away from mistakes and interceptions. But he's got to be able to push the ball downfield. I think if he can mature... In that area of his game, Miami could be a dark horse playoff contender this year. I don't think they get there because I think they're going to lose to Alabama so terribly that nobody wants to watch them play another big team. But uh, it's they're a darn good football team. And Manny Diaz, he's going to have them playing well defensively no matter who they lose. So uh, I got the Hurricanes going 10-2, and two, and I have them winning the ACC Coastal. Ah, Sam. I'm with you here, man. I'm with you. Isn't it ironic, though, that like the one year that everyone's not hyping Miami up, that this is actually the best team that they've probably had in over a decade? Like UNC is getting that Miami hype now. And it is honestly, this is the one time it should be reserved for Miami. And I have not seen a single like, is Miami back article yet? And honestly, I'm flabbergasted. Like this is the time to write that article and nobody's doing it. Um, I think nine and a half is a very intriguing win total here, but I do think that they go over and there. No one is talking about how Miami is bringing back 19 starters, 19. That is, that's the whole team practically. Robert, we made a big deal about NC state bringing back 19 starters. Miami's bringing back 19 starters and, 17 of them are probably better football players. They're better starters. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And they have Derek King and I'm going to make a prediction here. And I think Derek King will be a Heisman finalist this year. I don't know if he'll win it, but he will be a finalist. Uh, I don't think Miami will be a good enough team for him to get the award, but he'll be there. Um, he'll probably have better stats than the winner. I love, this podcast. I love this. <laughs> Um, and he's bringing back almost his entire offense. He's bringing back the whole line. Now, Sam, you did say he's bringing back every weapon. He did lose Brevin Jordan, the tight end. Um, but every it's, wide receiver, every running back, every lineman all coming back. And well, my, the, I, I hate to interrupt you, but Miami might be tight end you. If you don't think that they don't have another NFL tight end in the works down there, I mean, that's, I mean, go, go on. But that's kind of my point is like, they're going to be able to reload at every single position that they've lost. Oh yeah, it's about time for like Greg Olson Jr. or somebody to show up. Um, and and on the defensive end, they were the 
number one pass defense in the conference last year, and they're bringing back the entire back seven. Um, that defense is going to be strong. Diaz has always been a defensive-minded coach. I just think that they're going to have a lot of balance on both sides of the ball. Um, will they beat Alabama? Absolutely not. And it won't be close. But after that first loss, I like Miami's schedule the rest of the way. Um, I do think that they beat UNC. I think that that is kind of the deciding matchup in who wins the Coastal. Um, and I think Miami gets them on the road. I think Miami will probably lose one ACC game because I don't think they're good enough to you know, run the table. Uh, I look at that pit game at Heinz Field on October 30th as a good potential upset. But yeah, I think they win 10 games. I think De'Eric King is a Heisman finalist, and I think they win the Coastal. De'Eric King, a Heisman finalist. I don't know about that. You got to be able to throw the ball to be able to be a Heisman finalist, I feel like now. But that being said, uh, Miami is, I think, I'm not, they're not back because they're not going to go 12 and 0. They're not, they're, they're getting there. And I think Diaz has them heading in the right direction. King coming off injury, obviously, is going to be key. But apparently, you're stronger coming off an ACL surgery now, which, you know, could make him dangerous, obviously, more than he already is. Uh, greatly improved, especially on the offensive line, which is something that Miami has struggled with in the last three to four years, especially protecting, obviously, Derek King last year. Um, the defense is going to be more dialed in, even though with a couple losses. But Miami's good to Miami. I think I have them nailed at nine and three. Um, losses coming to Bama and two random Miami losses that happen every year. Um, I still think they're going to win the Coastal. I think it's going to be a tie between two teams at nine and three in the Coastal, and it's going to be up to head-to-head matchups. Um, I think the Coastal's got three teams that are going to be at the top at the very end, and um, it's going to be up to the head-to-head matchups to decide the fact the the, <clears throat> the winner. Um, my bold prediction is I think one of the random losses is going to be Florida State. I think this is the year they get them back after getting beat down oh. for some years. Um, I think hot take. I, I think this is the year that Florida State gets them back. Not that it's going to really matter. Um, I think this is the year. There's so much blood in that that rivalry, uh, the Bobby Bowden season. Um, I think this is the year Florida State gets them back. So that's one of my two, I guess, random Miami losses. But I have them at under. If nobody caught that. Nine and three. I, I'm somewhere in between Sam and Irby's takes. I mean, I think they're going to win the Coastal. I think they're also going under. Um, I got them at nine wins. And I agree with everything that was said by the two of you. Like, this is the year where Miami isn't garnering the hype that they normally get. But this is the year where they should be getting that kind of hype. Returning starters all over the field. You have Rhett Lashley, who's a very good offensive coordinator with a fifth-year senior quarterback now. The question is whether or not De'Ara King's healthy, which is a, obviously a major question mark, and it's really going to dictate the course of Miami's season. They're going to get blown out by Alabama. But you know, like you all mentioned, I, I think there's a good opportunity for them moving forward. I think they should be um, a team to watch out for nationally. Um, I I think they're a top 10 type team. I think they have all the talent across the board. I also fully acknowledge that Miami has not lived up to the nine or 10 win hype really much at all in the last like 15 years. So until they get to that 11 or 12 win echelon, it's really hard to say that they're back like Brett mentioned, but I think they're getting closer and it's going to be like, if not now, then when for Manny Diaz. And I think he's going to have to be around nine or 10 wins for Miami fans to really accept him as the head coach of this program moving forward. I think this is a really pivotal year for him, not necessarily for him to get like 
fired or anything like that. It would really have to bottom out, I think, for that to happen. But I think for the fan base to kind of hang with him and say, yeah, this is our guy, I, th- I think he's going to have to be around nine or 10 wins. So I'm going to hedge and say under just because they got to prove it to me <laughs> that they're going to do this consistently and get to double digit wins. But um, this is a team that's really talented, and I think they are going to win the Coastal nine wins. A lot of Hokie fans that listen to this aren't going to enjoy uh, that last segment, but maybe they'll enjoy this one a little bit more. The North Carolina Tar Heels, one of the most hyped up teams with one of the most hyped up players to start the season and Sam Howell. North Carolina Tar Heels are coming in with a win total of nine and a half. Uh, some key games for the Tar Heels this season. They kick things off September 3rd, Friday night in Blacksburg against the Hokies. And I think another big game for them is October 30th. They have to travel to South Bend to play Notre Dame. Never a fun place to play in late October, as the Hokies know very well. Since 2016, they are one in three against the Vegas win total. So you're looking at a team that could be a bit overhyped by Vegas, or you could say, hey, this is the year where things even out and they get to two and three over the past five years. Take that as you will. Ed. Kick us off. This one's about to get pretty contentious. So we'll 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 go to you first, Ed. Over here for UNC. Over nine and a half. That was obviously largely dependent on week one, right? I mean, if Virginia Tech comes out and beats UNC week one, um, that puts a damper on that over. But I'm gonna go with an over here because Sam Howell's better than Derek King. And I'm gonna pick the quarterback, the better quarterback of the two teams that are kind of neck and neck. Um I'm going to go with the quarterback play. Sam Howell's a very good player. Um, I, I recognize that they obviously lost a lot of talent to skill positions, um, but I think they'll be able to replace that in short order and still be very productive. Um, anytime you have a quarterback who's going to go at least top five, if not 1-1, one, one, uh, it's really hard to bet against them. So I'm going to go with an over for UNC. This is a Big 12 team playing in the ACC. They have an elite elite quarterback who should deservedly be in New York for the Heisman ceremony if things go out this fall. I mean, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback in Sam Howell. However, this team loses so much, and I think the defensive improvement has been vastly overhyped. I have them going under. I have them going 9-3. and I just do not think that they will improve defensively enough to cover things for Sam Howell in this offense that loses so much. I think one of the major losses on defense is Chas Surratt, all ACC linebacker, who we're just not talking about him being lost, but he was the key to that defense. He was really the only guy out there who played with any attitude, and he's gone. And he's gone out of there. They were number 87 in the nation in passing defense last season, and they have to play against a schedule that's going to have a lot of teams that want to throw the football defensively, again, the word that comes to mind is volatile. They have the talent. They just have not produced very well. Let me read you some of these opponent scores for UNC. Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's like second and third string, scored 45 against them. Florida State, and a quarterback who's like five foot six, scored 31 against them and won that game. Virginia scored 44. Wake Forest scored 53. Texas A&M scored 41. This is not a defense that can stop anybody. If you take away the games against Syracuse and Western Carolina, 
They gave up 33.8 points per game. Even if you say that they have a really good uh, development on defense, which is about, I don't know, half a touchdown to five points better, right? That's a really good improvement defensively. They're still giving up over four touchdowns a game. I don't see this team doing that consistently for 12 games, that improvement. I have them going nine and three. They are phenomenally talented. They're really well coached. Sam Howell is one of the best, if not the best quarterbacks in the nation and Hokie fans. If I don't care how you think that game will go. If you don't think that that guy's throwing for 350 on Worsham field, you're out of your mind. He's going to light up the scoreboard, whether you like it or not, but I just do not have them going. 10 and two this year. Uh, I think that game in Blacksburg is going to be really tough for a lot of their young guys. They lose pretty much everybody. And then at Notre Dame, I think is going to be a really tough game for them. I also think at Pittsburgh comes at a tough time for them as well towards the end of the season where that pit defense will be getting better. I have them going nine and three on the season, a bit of a disappointment, but again, considering that this was like a two win team, three or four years ago, the stuff that that staff and Mac Brown is doing is phenomenal, but I, I don't think they're at that national level yet. That's my take on the Tar Heels. So before uh, Brett and Chris absolutely eviscerate UNC, I'm going to try to uh, defend them a little bit here. I think to me, I think that there is a path to this overhitting and I think it all comes down to one game and it's the game that Everyone has mentioned thus far, and it's that first game on September 3rd, Virginia Tech. That is going to be one of the toughest games UNC plays all year, not necessarily because of the level of opponent, but more so the environment and the fact that it's first game of the year. They're implementing a lot of new players into the offense, as we've touched on. Um, if they can survive that, um, all of those factors, if they can survive the loud crowd and the maybe the freshman mistakes and things like that, and they can come out of Blacksburg with a win, I think this overhits. But if they don't, then I think they win nine games. And I think it's that I think it's clear as day, just like that. Um, and I think that yes, there is a lot of turnover on offense, but I think Ty Chandler is someone that is not necessarily getting enough attention. I think that that was a huge, huge, huge get for them out of the portal. Um, he is fifth all time at the University of Tennessee in all purpose yards, fifth all time. Um, and he transferred to UNC. And I think he's the perfect guy to replace Williams and Carter, who both departed for the NFL. Um, so I think they will still have that viable rushing attack. Uh, it won't necessarily be a two-headed monster, but Chandler will at least carry a lot of the load, and that'll uh, create balance for Howell, and he'll be able to air it out a little bit more. I think they go 10-2. and two. I think they do lose to Miami, and they probably drop one more ACC game. Um, so I think they finish a game behind Miami, but I still think that the over hits here. That's a good word, eviscerate, because don't get me wrong. Sam Howe is going to be a top five draft pick. He's going to be the number one quarterback taken in the draft this year. I think so. But he's had a lot of help around him. I mean, some really talented players. I mean, players that are all making NFL rosters, all players that are going to be playing in the NFL. And. Sam Howe isn't isn't Spencer Rattler. He's not Derrick King. He's not like this flashy, you know, quarterback. I'm going to put the team on my back and going to take this game over myself. He's a guy that controls the game, controls the tempo, accurate passer, and efficient player. That being said, I think it's going to be really hard for them UNC just to rely solely on him to take over football games based on the talent around him. 
I did a bunch of math, and so I'm going to hit the listeners with this kind of math. So here we go. Receiving yards last year just between players at departure between Diamond Brown, Daz Newsom, Williams, and Carter in receiving, that was 2,355 yards, and that was they lost six – that equals 65% of the yards receiving that they had last year. Returning, the only two players that really made a sound were Bo Corrales and Diamond Brown's brother, Caffrey Brown, who only had 15% of the offense and a total of 575 yards. That's their two starting receivers returning. Now, I think next year, even though it won't be Sam Howe, I think both of those players will have really good years. But this year is going to be still some growing pains for them as they sat behind those two players last year, the pretty much whole entire year. The only time I remember Bo Corrales being mentioned was in that Florida State game when he dropped the pass on fourth down to just pretty much lose the game for them. That being said, obviously we know Carter Williams were probably one of the best two-headed rushing monsters the ACC has ever seen and maybe the country has ever seen. They made up for 2,935 yards out of their 3,177 yards, which was which equals to over 78% of their uh, rushing attack. Ty Chandler, yes, very good. But I think it's going to, I think he's not going to be able to carry that weight of 2,935 yards that those two players were able to, those two players were able to contribute to last year. That being said, altogether, uh, North Carolina lost 71% of their offense in their skill positions that Sam Howell had help with. Um, I don't care how good you are. If you lose 71% of your offense and, it, and your name's not Alabama or Clemson, you're not going to be as good. I don't care who you are. Sam Howell is still going to be efficient, still going to be good, but I just do not do not foresee him putting up the numbers like he did last year just because he doesn't have the the returning talent that has been with him, I guess, the last two years. Um, defense, I think I think Sam nailed it on the head. I think Chad, people aren't talking about losing Chad Surratt enough. Um, I think he was the key to that defense. He was the play caller. He just – kept that defense alive the whole year that struggled. Um, and like you, and Sam also nailed on the head, I think an improved defense five to seven points is an improved defense, but that's still almost four touchdowns a game. I mean, they're going to, I mean, there's going to be plenty of teams that score four touchdowns a game. And I don't know without the talent of Sam Howe and this and Ty Chandler to be able to put the weight of all of that on their shoulders. And that's pretty much who they're solely going to be relying on this year. Um, that being said, I'm going under and I am pretty confident that, Eight wins is actually attainable for them. I guess attainable is not the word since that's going below. But I think their losses are going to be Virginia Tech game one. Um, like you said, I think a lot of their win total relies on that game. Uh, Notre Dame, which obviously we're on the see, we're not going to talk about them. But I think they're going to be not quite as good as they were last year. But I think they're still going to. I think they're kind of the Notre the new Notre Dame team that people always wanted to have. And I think Notre Dame's going to cause a lot of problems for ACC teams this year. I think they're going to lose to Miami. And my bold prediction is I think NC State's going to bite them at the end of the year when UNC realizes that they're not going to be a top 10 team anymore with three losses going to that game and they're not going to care. Sam Howell's going to be thinking about the draft. Ty Chandler's going to be thinking about the draft. And I think NC State really puts a damper on the rest, on Mac Brown's career on a team that was overhyped. All right. I've been waiting for this one. So here we go. All right. This is, I really think that Brett brought up a lot of the similar stats because I agree with all of them. And so I'm not going to concentrate on stats. I'm going to concentrate on UNC as a program. All right. Because that's where we need to focus a lot of our attention on. All right. So to me, this all starts at the top with Mac Brown. All right. Big man, 
turns 70 before the UNC game even kicks off, which means he's going to officially be one year older than when Frank Beamer was when he retired back in 2015. So that's who's heading the UNC football program. So for me, I look at that and I think, uh, okay, is Mac Brown the kind of guy who's still instilling a, a culture of toughness and accountability in his program? Is he spending sleepless nights pushing his scheme and his coordinators to kind of make the right adjustments and, and create the culture that they need to win on a week-in, week-out basis? And the answer to me is probably no. And so for me, I hear a lot of the people saying, well, he doesn't have to be that. He's just the CEO, you know, the booster, glad handing the boosters, getting bags of money and creating the program. And that's all fine and well. And all he needs to do is hit on every recruiting class. But for me, I go, okay, you know, well, then who is running the show? You know, and that to me means that most of it's predicated on the the success of Phil Longo on offense and Jay Bateman on defense. And, you know, you pretty much touched on a lot of the inefficiencies of the offenses here. And I think that's just going to be the nature of what it is. Sam Howell, great quarterback, but just not a lot of returning production. Um, Specifically for me, I wanted to focus mostly on their receivers. 12% 12% of the wide receiver production is returning for people who actually caught a pass last year. So that's the big thing for me. And then Jay Bateman, you mentioned it earlier. Um, they just have never had that consistency. Granted, he's only been at the helm for two years, but I go, well, who is Jay Bateman? And you look at it prior to this, and he basically won the Broyles Award as the Army defensive coordinator who only had to have a good defense for five minutes of football game because Army ran the Delaware wing T flex bone offense and had the ball for you know almost 40 minutes a game. And, uh, and against terrible competition. So I just don't believe that he's that good of a coordinator, and I don't think he'll ever put his players in the true positions to win regardless of the talent they have. Um, you mentioned about Ty Chandler. I agree he's a good running back, but he's going to be one person back there, and that offense was clicking because they had two NFL, kind of what was within the first two-round draft picks uh, picked last year. Um, so for me, uh, you look back at 2020, and they had production everywhere, and they still only won eight games. You know, they could have lost some more there as well. Uh, so, you know, to me, they are more like UCLA than they are the burgeoning next Clemson. They're a soft, flashy basketball school. You know, they have good recruiting classes. They rely on the colors, the branding, the location. Not so much for UNC, uh, but, you know, if you zoom in on the culture, you zoom in on the cult- uh, the coaching staff, this is an eight-win program that's out recruiting and out punting, and you know its coverage right now. And uh, I, I not only see them hitting the under. I think this is like a you know they barely win eight games type team. I'm definitely hammering the under. I think this is a lock. There's no way this team wins ten football games. I'm there. Um, I'm on the under for a lot of reasons you guys mentioned. I mean, look, the way I look at it is this team last year had a few different games where they simply just didn't show up. They were almost three touchdown favorites against Florida State. They were down 31-7 at halftime. I get North Carolina came storming back in the second half, but they lost. They gave a 53 to Wake Forest. Um, They lost a game to Virginia, giving up 44 points that they had no business losing. And there's nothing with this team that's returning that makes me think that they don't have the pension of doing that again. Like, I think they could absolutely lose a game or two that they're not supposed to. And if you look at this on paper, given their schedule, I think that's a lock for the under. I think they're talented. I think they could certainly win the Coastal. Um, I think they win nine games. I, I just... I think they're going to slip up in places where we don't think they should. And I'm not sure they have enough offensively. I, I know they've recruited well, but this offensive line had a hard time keeping Sam Howell upright at times last year. Yeah, they returned a lot of their starters up front, but 
that doesn't mean that they're going to be good. Um, Ty Chandler's a very good player. I think if they don't have Ty Chandler, this is like a top 20-ish team rather than a top 10-ish team. Um, and I have concerns about the defense too. I, I think they'll be improved, but I don't think they'll be like a top 10 defense in the country or a top third, the ACC defense. I think it's more of like a middle of the road conference defense. And because of that, I think that it's more likely they go under. Um, it might not be by much. I think they're, they're a good team for sure. Are they a 10 win team? Are they playoff good? No, I I've seen, <laughs> there've been some people who have picked Carolina to beat Clemson. Like, are you kidding me? Clemson has been doing top five, has been recruiting at a top five level nationally for a decade. I mean, North Carolina doesn't close the gap with two or three recruiting classes. That's insane to me. Um, I, I don't think this team wins 10 games. I'd be shocked. I think the word contentious comes around a lot. Virginia Tech fans in particular, I think there is this growing rivalry. And guys, I'll just open-end it real quick. Is UNC becoming a bigger rival to Virginia Tech in terms of the fan base, in terms of like, quote-unquote, hatred than maybe even UVA at this point? Not more than UVA. I think maybe not as a fan base or hatred, but I think in a stand, in a competitive and football terms, in competitive recruiting, competitive on the field, and competitive just from a football culture standpoint. Even though they're not a football school, but I think just competing with them year in and year out, it's going to become like the secondary rivalry that Miami and Virginia Tech used to have in the Big East days. And I think you're going to start seeing that as long as Mac Brown is there. Because um, I think Virginia Tech and Miami have kind of lost that edge they used to have back in the day because they were both perennial top 15 programs and Miami was, you know, recruiting all over the freaking place. But now Carolina, you know, is in our stopping grounds com- and uh, year in and year out. So I think they're going to be like a perennial just bloodbath every year kind of game. Yeah, it certainly will be interesting on September 3rd. I will be there in Section 16 loud and proud and i'll tell you what all the old people all the old alums like myself in section 16 are going to be making a whole lot of noise for that one we're going to spend about 45 seconds on the pittsburgh panthers because well that's all about they deserve uh pittsburgh coming into the season a win total by vegas you guessed it of 7.0 wins they do have some interesting games a cool non-conference game at tennessee on september 11th on October 16th, they do travel to Blacksburg, a place that they have struggled recently. And on November 20th, they host Virginia, which could be a really big game for both of those teams who are both going to be floating around roughly 500 in the ACC. We'll get to the Cavaliers next. Since 2016, the Pitt Panthers are 3-1 and one against Vegas on the win totals. I have this team pushing at 7-5 and five, because that's where they should be. They're a mediocre team. They recruit mediocre. They have mediocre coaches. They have a mediocre quarterback. That's about it. That's all you need to know about the Pitt Panthers. They're going to be replacing a lot on defense, and I think they might take a step back defensively while they take a step forward offensively. They have pretty much every single weapon returning offensively. And Kenny Pickett is there for his 18th year. I think they're going to get to seven and five. I think they beat Tennessee on the road, which will be a good, a good marquee win for the ACC. We talked about there's a lot of ACC versus SEC happening this season. Um, they have a tough month of October like they did last year, so I think they'll struggle around there and end up at seven and five. Also, fun thing about Pittsburgh, the top recruit they had 
this year coming in. Young man, defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, by the name of Elliot Donald. Yep, Elliot Donald. Oh, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, that's going to be an issue for the next few years. Uh, who wants to take it over for the Pittsburgh Panthers? I'll start. Evan. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah, go, Brett. Fire away, man. You got it. Yeah, yeah I'm so excited about Pitt, Pittsburgh. No, I just Kenny Pickett. It just depends what games he's going to show up to. I have this team, team pushing as well. Uh, defense is going to be hurting, especially in the trenches. They lost a lot. Uh, strong linebacker core, though, that should make up for it. That can at least get them some stops and some wins. Uh, schedule wasn't overly difficult for them not to get the seven. Uh, I think Narduzzi gets them to a bowl again. Uh, losses, I got Clemson, Miami, Virginia Tech, UNC, and then at Tennessee. And I think they could they could honestly, between Miami, Virginia Tech, UNC, could honestly win one of those. Um, and maybe lose another random one, uh, game in the ACC. So I think seven better push, I think is pretty fair. I'm going to go over here. Um, I think they get to eight. Pittsburgh has not gone undefeated in the non-conference schedule in 30 years, which is a ridiculous stat. I think they actually do it this year. You got a year one situation at Tennessee. UMass is one of the worst teams in the FBS. Western Michigan shouldn't be very good. And New Hampshire is obviously an FCS school that they should beat. So they have a really good chance of starting 4-0. They have a tough game on the road at Bobby Dodd on October 2nd against Georgia Tech. I think that they come out of that with a win. And then I think you're looking at a situation going into a bye week where they come on the road to Blacksburg and they could potentially be undefeated at that point in time and probably one of the top 20 teams in the country. That could end up being actually a huge game for Virginia Tech. Um, and then obviously a very big game for Pittsburgh. Back half of the schedule's tough, but I think that this team can absolutely get to eight when you consider you have Kenny Pickett coming back. I know he's not great. Like he's, he's just a fine, mediocre quarterback. But having senior quarterback on your roster is helpful. Uh, defense that should be pretty solid. And the question with Pittsburgh to really get to eight wins will be if they show improvement in the running game. Their run game really hasn't been good in a few years uh, since they had Quadrials and Darren Hall. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what they end up with. But I, I think this team can absolutely go over. This should be one of the contenders in the Coastal, in my opinion. I think this pushes. Uh, I think it goes 7-5. and five. And honestly, I think Vegas could set the line every year for the next 10 years for Pitt at 7.0 every year. And it will push every year because that's just what Pitt does. Pitt goes 7-5. and five. I feel like Vegas is just sitting there trying to poke Pat Narduzzi with a stick and say like, come on, do something because they're tired of him being so mediocre. They want to actually make some money. They want to actually set a creative line, but no, they can only do 7.0 because that's just what they're going to do every year. And they're just going to give people refunds for the next however long Narduzzi's there. Yep. Push it seven wins. I'm not going to waste anybody's time here. I guess I'll round it out. I'm actually, I'm actually under. Uh, I see them going six and six, and that's just because Kenny Pickett's not a good quarterback. And people say, oh, he's average and everything. No, he's, he's actually just for a starter who's played as many games as he's actually pretty bad. Uh, I pretty much average 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions a year, uh, roughly about 124.1 QBR, 6.5 air yards per attempt. The guy is the de- definition of below park starting quarterback. Um, and out of eligible starters with roughly the eligible amount of passes, I think it's about 150 attempts. Um, he was the ninth best quarterback in the ACC last year. And I'm assuming that the people who were not eligible, like Florida State's uh, quarterback situation and, you know, Virginia Tech for practice for advice are probably getting a full season's worth of stats. They'll probably be 12th, maybe, out of the starting 14 quarterbacks in the ACC this year. And I just I don't see that with them having a worse off running game than they have in years past uh, for being able to just 
consistently be 500 or excuse me, slightly above 500. This is the year they probably are a 500 team, six and six. One quick thing to throw out about Pittsburgh. If you are thinking about putting some money on the Panthers this season, whether it's over or under, they did have the, they were the quote unquote luckiest turnover team in the nation last year. Uh, they had a projected turnover margin of minus 5.7. They had an actual turnover margin of three. So you're looking at a team that really, really got lucky with the turnovers last year. All right, let's move it on to that team that's just a bit up on I-81. The Virginia Cavaliers, win total of 6.0. The Cavaliers have uh, three really interesting games on the road. I think that game against Louisville could be pretty interesting. They travel there on October 9th. On October 30th, Bronco Mendenhall makes his way back to Provo, Utah, as they face BYU. And then on November 20th, a game at Pittsburgh against the aforementioned Panthers. I'm sure you can hear my dog in the background. He's very excited about the UVA win total this year. And I think he's pretty excited that his dad is going to bet under on it. I do not think this is a good football team at all. I'm going to take off my orange maroon colored glasses and... Man, oh man, they have no skill players. I mean, they have none at all. Brennan Armstrong, he threw 11 interceptions last year, only had 58% completion percentage. He had to run the ball 126 times. What is that? How is this guy being projected as one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC? I will never know about it. Kateon Thompson is really the only athletic, talented playmaker that this offense has, and they can't really get him on the field every down. They can't decide if they want him wide receiver or to play quarterback. So I I don't know how much of an option that that guy is. They have one receiver returning with over seven receptions in their, in from last season. That's Billy Kemp, the fourth, he's the only healthy one. Um, And he's been in a boot for the past week and has not practiced. So I have UVA going under. I have them going five and seven. I think next year you'll see a better UVA team, but not this year. They're not recruiting well enough to be able to sustain success. Although I will say what is scary is the last time UVA was projected for six wins, they ended up winning the Coastal Division and breaking Virginia Tech's win streak. But I don't think Bryce Perkins is on this team. Brett, what do you think about the Wahoos? Yeah, I have them pushing at six losses. Um, this People got to remember, this isn't the Mike London UVA anymore. This is actually a well-coached football team, uh, a much tougher football team, mentally tough, physically tough, stronger. I'm looking at this kind of like how Virginia Tech, even though Virginia Tech's a little more talented this year, I'm looking at it the same way as that we should be looking at our quarterback. If Brennan Armstrong can just control the football game, I think, and not turn the ball over, I think they are able to get the six uh, to six wins. Obviously, they're going to be lacking a little bit in the defensive side. They lost lost a lot on the trenches and the linebacker position. But I think, I mean, Mendenhall had nothing at BYU, and he was able to win some games just based off you know how he coaches and how he runs his program. Um, I look at their losses. I'm looking at UNC Miami. I'm actually looking at them losing at BYU, even though without Zach Wilson, uh, UVA better pray that they they should be glad that they didn't play BYU last year because I think BYU would have ran them out of the stadium just to get payback at Brock Mendenhall. Um, and I think Virginia tech, I think will beat them at the end of the year. Um, I think, and I think they'll probably lose either between the pit Georgia tech games um, somewhere in there. 
uh, then another random loss. I think they get to a bowl at six and six just to keep the boat afloat for Bronco Ben and Holland. And next year, I think uh, they're going to be looking at a seven, eight win team, uh, no doubt. So, Hokie fans, listen up. Let me tell you exactly why UVA will stink this year. And and Sarah, my sister, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, but your team is going to be bad. She's a class of 2016 UVA grad, unfortunately. Still love her, though. Anyway, UVA was a very hit or miss, mediocre at best team last year, and they will continue to be so this year, perhaps even be worse. Um, Sam touched on this with Armstrong. He carries just such a heavy load in that offense. Um, so he missed two games last year with injury. So in the eight games he started, if you look at UVA's production in those games, he accounted for over 78% of their yards and 23 of their 33 offensive touchdowns. UVA's offense puts just an absurd amount of pressure on that quarterback um, to do it with his arm and with his, his legs. Armstrong took 19 sacks last year in those eight games. That's over two a game. Um, so if you look at that, that absurd number of production, unless you have an elite quarterback, it's really not going to work. Now, it worked for them in 2019 because they had Bryce Perkins. And in 2019, Bryce Perkins averaged or accounted for 79% of UVA's offense. But the difference was, was he it was a better quarterback. He had over uh, 4,200 yards of total offense for the season by himself. And he was able to lead his team to a coastal title. But Armstrong just isn't that. He's just not going to be able to carry the burden the way that Perkins was able to. And not to mention the team around him is also worse. Sam touched on this. He doesn't really have any weapons. He lost Terrell Jana and he lost Tony Poljan. Um, those were two of his top targets last year. Their running game has been horrendous the last few years. Armstrong or Perkins has led the team in rushing both of the last two years. So their running back during that time has been Wayne Talapapa, who, despite his awesome name, uh, is a very bland running back. He's very good in goal line situations. He scores a lot of touchdowns. He's kind of a bruiser. But last year, his long run was 19 yards. So he is not explosive by any means. They just don't run the ball well. And the defense as well was the worst in the conference against the pass last year. They'll continue to be bad against the pass. That secondary is just not good. Uh, you saw Virginia Tech light them up last year. I mean, Tavion Robinson was running with defenders not even 15 yards <laughs> from him. And they're also losing Zane Zandier and Charles Snowden. So that pass rush and that front seven is just going to get worse. Um, I think UVA is going to just be very ho-hum on offense and on defense. And I think that they're going to go four and eight. I think it's just going to be a really tough season for the Who's. Very, very just bland season. And I'll end it with this. More like University of Vanilla. Am I right? Yeah. That was gar that was terrible. Come on. Come on. That was terrible. Oh man. Does anybody else have anything to say after that? No, I, I think we can all just retire this conversation. This is this is UVA. It's a push more than likely. I agree with Brett. They're just gonna be like just average. Um that that that's it. I mean, there, there's really not much else to say. We can move on to the better team right now. We we we, we could talk about something different in case uh Michael would have something else to say. No, I was just going to say they're, one they're thing. just there. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just saying they're kind of just going to be there and like around and like well coached, but not very good. So six and six, I think they push. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and add the. Um, I'm not really sure where this well coached thing is from, 
Um, the only year that they were respectable and any good was when they had the best player in the field in most of their games in Bryce Perkins. Uh, they have a very quarterback-dependent offense and not very good quarterbacks, and they're very one-dimensional, and their defense is very eh. I'm not – just because they're more disciplined and not, you know, a pile of steaming dog poop every single game doesn't mean that they're well-coached. It just means they're better than what they were before. I think they're a four-win team this year, and I think um, Hall could be on his way out in the next two years. So That's a hot take, and I don't know if I hate it because I I – this team will have to have another season like they did with Bryce Perkins. And the only reason that they got Bryce Perkins was because he had a horrific injury at Arizona state. They were able to pick him up in the transfer portal. So I don't hate that take Ed. All right. That's kind of my point is they're not recruiting. Well, it's like <laughs> they brought in a guy and they were really good because of that guy. And now he's gone. And now they're kind of back to what they were. I mean, until they start pulling really good recruits and developing players there, um, I'm not really sure where the well-coached part comes from, but yeah, we can move on to the better team now. Fellas, are you ready? And just so everyone knows, we're not going to have this this discussion on the Hokies as structured. It's just going to be a free-for-all, guys. Virginia Tech. The Hokies have a win total of 7.5. We'll talk about the key games in a bit. Since 2016, the Hokies are 1-2-1 and versus Vegas. The one thing that I will say to start off the conversation is personally... I believe this team in this season sets up a whole lot like the 2016 Virginia Tech season where there's a whole lot of unknowns in terms of production, but there are a lot of knowns in terms of talent. Virginia Tech has a lot of talent on the starting 22. This team, new defensive coordinator last year, Justin Hamilton, unable to really put in his defense during the COVID year, as were most defensive coordinators that were new and offensive coordinators. And this team is going to be led by Braxton Burmeister, who has the physical tools of a very, very good quarterback. And he has all of the weapons he'll need. And he has one of the best offensive lines in the ACC, irregardless of the losses of Doug Nestor and Christian Darisol. So guys, Go for it. Like, go for it. Virginia Tech, seven and a half. I'll start it off. So the way I look at Virginia Tech is I had to take emotion kind of at, just set it aside. I have to take off my orange and moon glasses. I have to kind of just look at this with the most unbiased. So I only utilize one real ranking when I'm looking at the most unbiased, washed out version of a team's performance. And in this case, I use F+. So for me, when I go F+, I think in terms of this is a composite of other composite metric rankings, and that gives me a pretty good definitive view of how this team has performed under Fuente and how we can evaluate this talent going into this season with this specific set of players because we can break down the schedule and the talent level as much as we want. But ultimately, you know, it comes down to just kind of, you know, how Fuente will get the level of production needed to win games at a high level throughout the course of the season. So uh, if you want to look up F+, it's a conglomerate rating. For those who don't know, it's a mix of Bill Conley's S+, Brian Fermo's FEI ratings, but essentially it's just a good way to kind of get a, a good high-level assessment of a team. Uh, but in terms of F+, uh, 2016, uh, Virginia Tech finished 15th overall. Uh, we won 10 wins. 2017, 22nd overall, we won 9 wins. Uh, 2018, that's when we kind of bottomed out, 67th overall in F+. You know, we didn't win very many games that year. 2019, a little bit better. 
in terms of win total, 40th overall in 2020-34. So I looked at that and I saw that uh, a couple of takeaways. You know, number one, just, you know, when we have talent on the roster, Fuente seems to be able to get the production out of it and put up a top 20F-plus type team. Uh, it actually looked like 2018 was year one. So we always joke about when year one of Fuente year was. 2018 seems to be the year. Uh, and just we've consistently improved in F-plus ranking since 2018, kind of moving up. So we're on an upper trajectory in terms of overall team production. So I agree with Sam. I think this resembles mostly the 2016-17 type teams. Um, and if we're looking at that, what does that mean? Well, that means we're probably going to have a top 20 F-plus team. So I went back and looked at uh, 2015 to 2019 numbers because 2020 was buried amongst the Power 5 teams in terms of how many games they played. But if you look at five years, that's 100 total teams in the top 20 of F+. 90 out of 100 won at least eight games. So if I'm thinking this team is going to be a top 20 F-plus team that mirrors those 16 and 17 teams, I'm going to say this team has a floor of eight wins. I think they go over the seven and a half total. And I think this is a floor of eight wins. Nine wins is a likely outcome, and it could go higher than that if everyone stays healthy. So this could be a special year, but I do think the floor is eight wins. Uh, I want to agree with you so bad, Chris, but I just don't. I I have Tech going seven and five. I think the under hits. I just think, to me, it comes down to um, two things. I think that other than the first two years of under Fuente, you know, that everyone talks about as the, the glory years, so to speak, winning 19 games in two years. I think you could look at each season along the way and you can find points from 2018 to now you could find points of underachievement, some bigger than <clears throat> some bigger than others, obviously um, last year being the first and foremost. Um, so I, I don't think that we're in a place where um, Virginia Tech is going to be getting the most out of its talent. Um, I just think that unless there are, are severe corrections made, the trajectory of having a few duds in there and just not never beating the big opponent, like those are going, those are patterns at this point. And I think the schedule is tough for Tech as well. There's just really no you know, with every schedule, there's kind of like a little, maybe a two or three game stretch where things are a little bit easier. You can, it's a little more cushy, you know, and you can, you can kind of coast a little bit and play some, some lesser teams, but tech doesn't really have that. It's a lot of back and forth between good teams and bad teams. It's, you start with North Carolina, then you get middle Tennessee, but then you have to go to West Virginia. After that, you get Richmond, but then it's Notre Dame and Pitt back to back. Then it's Syracuse. That's an easier one. But then it's at Georgia Tech, at Boston College, back-to-back. Then you get Duke, but then you finish the season with at Miami and at UVA. Like These are all tougher games. I mean, obviously, UVA is not that tough, as I alluded to earlier, but at least it's a road game. Um, it's it's going to be a very topsy-turvy schedule, and I think especially with the Hokies finishing four of their last five games on the road, um, knowing how the Hokies particularly tend to underachieve in November. Um, I don't have Fuente's record on me, but I know his November record is not good. It's not good. Uh, it's not good. I don't actually, I'm not even sure if it's above 500. For I November. think it's closer to a 30, like a 33% win percentage. Yeah. It's somewhere in that 30 to 35% win range uh, in November. And you add in that four of those five games are on the road and that's just, or three of those four are on the road. That's a, that's a disaster waiting to happen, I think. 
Yeah, no, I kind of agree with that. The home road splits. I think this is a year that the home road splits could flip personally. Uh, Mike, we've heard you talk on the Sun Saturday podcast a bit about your thoughts on the Hokies. This is a team where I think nationally you're seeing people going from, hey, this could be a surprise team. Um, I know the Athlon Cover 2 podcast has said that Virginia Tech could be a, a surprise team to get to eight or nine wins this year. And then if you look at you know the Barstool Sports Unnecessary Roughness podcast, you know, both of both of their hosts think that Justin Fuente is going to be gone mid-season. This team is kind of all over the place and one of the tougher teams to predict in the entire country. I think Virginia Tech is the most volatile team potentially in the ACC this year. And I think they're certainly the most volatile team from the media's coverage of what they think this team will or won't do. Um, I have I have Virginia Tech going over. Um, I, I think they go eight and four. My Biggest thing here is that, you know, Burmeister really wasn't healthy last year. Um, he was at the end of the year, which is when we saw his best football. Um, he was underweight going into the opener against NC State. He had COVID in the offseason. It was a big deal last year for this team in particular, <laughs> the COVID thing. Like, you think about the North Carolina game that we all keep bringing up, like, Virginia Tech hung with North Carolina with walk-ons and second and third stringers all over the defense. Um, This is a team, in my opinion, that has potential to boom rather than bust. Virginia Tech always has a tendency to lose a game that nobody sees coming. Um, I don't think that they are going to do that. (laughs) That's my kind of hot take. I said that on the, on the Suns podcast on the season preview podcast we recorded over the weekend. I actually think Virginia tech is not going to lose a game that we don't expect them to, which would be a first under Fuente. I think tech has a real opportunity to beat North Carolina in the opener. If you're going to get Carolina, you want to get them in game one because that's when they're going to be breaking in all their skill talent and a lot of young skill talent going on the road in a real road environment for the first time. You got to think guys, even if they're breaking in sophomores at like running back and receiver, like there were no fans last year. <laughs> like this is really their first taste of a college football atmosphere. I think that's going to be a real tough game. You, you consider North Carolina's receivers going up against Virginia tech secondary that I think has potential to be one of the best in the conference. Um, I think that's going to be a real opportunity for the Hokies on September 3rd. But even if Tech loses that opener, the next three games are all really winnable. Um, I don't know why people think West Virginia is a losable game. West Virginia is not very good. Um, That's definitely a winnable game in Morgantown. Mike, thank you so much for saying that. West Virginia was like middle of the road last season with a great defense. They lost every single one of those defensive players that are halfway decent. They lost everyone. I don't understand it. People are just scared of Morgantown. I mean, I guess rightfully yeah. so in some ways. Yeah. Because you get, you get batteries thrown at you and stuff. But like, so if maybe physically scared, but I, I don't, I don't get the Mountaineers being like. Yeah. When your football is, stadium is the live set of the movie Wrong Turn, that that's that's <laughs> tough to go to and win on the road. So that's that's the problem about playing in Morgantown. Yeah. West Virginia of two thousand six, two thousand five, we used to play. Right. They're in the middle of a rebuild with, with Neil Brown. And then you consider the two games that kind of wrap around that. Like Richmond's not very good. Middle Tennessee lost to Army by seven touchdowns last year. They didn't even score a point in that game. I mean, Middle Tennessee's awful. 
Um, it would have been really nice for Virginia Tech to have them on the schedule last year like they were supposed to. That was actually the first article I wrote for the Suns. I said it was it would have been nice to uh, for Virginia Tech to have played Middle Tennessee. Um, back half of the schedule, I mean, obviously, it's, it's tough to have whatever it is, five of your last six on the road. Um, and the November record is, is well taken. Fuente's record in November has not been very good. And Tech has not closed out seasons very well, except for 2016, really. Um, Syracuse and Blacksburg, I mean, Syracuse is one of the worst teams in the country. you got to win that game. If Virginia Tech doesn't beat Syracuse or doesn't beat Duke, Fuente should be fired after the game. Um, Georgia Tech and Boston College are both winnable. I think the BC game is obviously going to be tough because A, it's on a short week. B, Phil Dracovic's back and Boston College was pretty good last year. Um, and C, Tech has issues like random issues in Chestnut Hill. And it's a red bandana game, which is a big deal at Boston College. So um, that's going to be a tough game. But um, Virginia Tech, I, I think when I look at this schedule, I think the only like real losable game um, I mean, there there are two. I mean, North Carolina, the opener is going to be tough, but at least you get them at home. At Miami on November 20th, like, if Miami's still playing well, that's a really tough game. If they're, like, you know, six and three or something like that, or, like, six and four going into that game, there's a good chance they check out. And maybe Virginia Tech's checking out at that point, too. But I think that's – um, it could be a very tough game. It could also be kind of a low-key winnable game. Um, but I think there's a lot of opportunity in the schedule for Virginia Tech. I don't think it bottoms out as bad as a lot of people expect it to. I think Virginia Tech's floor, <clears throat> to be quite honest, is six or seven wins. I think it's really hard for Virginia Tech to go under that unless there's an issue to Braxton Burmeister, an injury to Burmeister. Um, and then at that point, I think all bets are off. But I think he stays healthy. I think Virginia Tech plays better than expected. I think the defense is the unit that takes a big step forward because we saw signs of it towards the end of the year. I think if Burmeister plays like he did against Clemson and UVA, I mean, this offense has a chance to be one of their units in the ACC. I'll ask you guys this. So I have, obviously I have Tech going seven and five, but I have them going seven and five with wins, marquee wins over UVA, Pitt, and we'll say either Notre Dame or West Virginia. I think they win one of those two. Probably Those are very different wins. (laughs) <laughs> right. Okay. Let's say, let's say, let's say Notre Dame. Let's say they beat Notre Dame. Okay. We'll, we'll say they say Notre Dame. All right. All right. So you get a win over UVA, Pitt, Notre Dame. Just throw it out there. Duke. But you have losses to West Virginia, Georgia Tech, Boston College. Some of these not great losses. And you go seven and five, but you beat UVA, beat Pitt. And you beat Notre Dame. Is that enough to keep Fuente around? No. 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 I'll I'll put my mark on this. Seven and five, he's out. Eight and four. Eight and four, you better utilize this good recruiting class you got coming in. Eight and four, the top 25 recruiting class he's here. Seven and five with with two bad losses. I think if Fuente has two two bad losses here, like, so like either, like, I think I'm with Mike, either. Duke or Syracuse, a loss after one of those games. I think what Popcock pulls the plug right there gives gives Justin Hamilton the reins as the interim coach, um, and see what happens. I, mean, I will say that I will say this with with a degree of certainty: seven is when the conversation really takes place. Anything above that, he's safe. Yeah. But if that seventh win comes against UVA, like is that momentum enough to sustain it? And maybe he wins a bowl game. 
Maybe you could say eight and five. No, because nobody okay, cares about um, bowl games anymore, and eight, UVA is not going to be a very good team. Six wins going into UVA is, is going to get him fired. That, that's that's how I'm looking at it. Is if he has six, he wins might not be the coach. Yeah, yeah. If you only have six, you have five losses before going to UVA. I mean, where are those five losses at? Yeah, he might he might not even be the coach going into UVA game potentially. They might get an early start on the coaching search. Yeah, I I don't see it. I, I mean, Witt just got this extension, you know. And he's good. And, this, and, and honestly, I think he got the extension in order for him to look for a new coach and try to exactly. See I mean, exactly. If people, if people haven't figured that out yet. I don't know. I don't know why you haven't because that's exactly why he got the extension. Yeah, my my opinion on that is he gets he gets the extension, and that's an invitation for him to say, you know what, I screwed up the first coaching search. Let me try to fix it with the second one because I've nailed literally every other coaching hire in the athletic department. So let me get a second crack at football coach, and that's why I got the extension. I think that's got to be got to be the reason why. Ed, your thoughts on the Hokies, seven and a half? I think it goes over. Um, I think they get eight and Fuente stays and is allowed to build off of what seems to be progress on the recruiting trail. Uh, I think this is a pretty typical, at least in my six, seven years as a Virginia Tech fan, pretty typical Virginia Tech team, couple high-level day one type NFL players, Amari Barno, you know, potentially a corner or something like that. You know, if Waller's healthy, not and James Mitchell, obviously on offense, and then maybe even Tenuta on the offensive line. So there's there's the high level talent there, but as usual um, with Virginia Tech, especially under Fuente, the depth is just not there. So I think the over is super super dependent on health. Um, I know Billy and Pat and Grayson and Mike talked about this extensively um, on the Suns pod this week about the health of Braxton Burmeister and um, just, you know, how important that really is. Um, but I do think if they're able to stay relatively healthy, uh, this is a pretty good team. I think the defense takes a step forward um, in year two, but really in my mind, year one for Justin Hamilton, um, everyone says, Oh, everyone dealt with COVID. Well, yeah, that's, that's great, but not everyone had it as bad as we did to start the season. I think that was really tough for him to implement his style of the defense. So I think they stepped forward. And I think if Braxton Burmeister can be the player he was um, in, you know, Clemson and UVA and just be a game manager um, with some flashes of, you know, above average play, I think this team is good enough to win eight games and the Fuente train continues to roll. To answer Irby's question, I do think seven wins with a win over UVA. Um, if you've beaten a Notre Dame or a UNC heading into that, and you're only at seven uh, with the recruiting momentum, I think there's a conversation. I don't think it's drop dead at seven. I think anything below seven is obviously drop dead, and then it seems like eight, eight would be safe. So I'm going to go with uh, over. So the conversation is pointless. Let's hope, please. Um, I think this is this could be a pretty good thing. Every team dealt with COVID, but not every team only had like 20 guys available at different points during fall camp a year ago. And that's what exactly, Virginia Tech was Exactly. Go ahead, Sam. No, I, I agree with most of the points made here, even some of Irby's points, especially. I am a bit more bullish on Virginia Tech than I thought I would be coming into this. I have Virginia Tech finishing the season at nine and three. 
And here's why. Look, I think this team mirrors the 2016 team a lot where there was a lot of talent that we just didn't see last year for whatever reason, whether they were not allowed to play due to off the field issues, whether they had COVID, whether they had injuries. There's a lot of talent that just didn't see the field last year. Some other things that I think are really key. This team had three top 25 losses that were very close. And all of these were with not the A team. And we're not talking missing one or two stars. We're talking missing multiple. You lose by 11 at North Carolina with guys my size playing on defense. I'm not very big. That was never going to end well. And Virginia Tech stuck with North Carolina for the entirety of that game, only lost by 11. The Liberty game against a really good Malik Wilson, that team. Virginia Tech did not have Khalil Herbert. They have Khalil Herbert. They probably win that game. And then the game against Miami, 25-24 to loss. I think they're a third down conversion away from being able to win that game late. And they just weren't able to make it there at midfield with a hand and hooker rollout, which made me very upset at Sharkies that night. I remember that vividly. Look, I think this is a team that performed a little better than their record last year, but just wasn't able to put things away. I think they're better. I also, I'm going to say, I think Braxton, Braxton Burmeister is a better quarterback than Hendon Hooker. I think he is. I think he has all of the running ability. I think he has all of that running vision as well that made Hendon Hooker so good at the second level to get past linebackers. But we've heard it from Justin Fuente at ACC Media Days and in uh, preseason press conferences. He thinks he's a better passer. He thinks the passing game will be much better this year. I think it's going to be very key for Virginia Tech because the key to this team is going to be getting the ball to the Towns wide receiver core, James Mitchell at tight end, of course. Then you have you know, Trey Turner, Jane Payu, Tavion Robinson, you know, even some younger guys, uh, Raheem Blackshear as well. Those are a lot of guys that need to get the ball, and I think Braxton Burmeister will do a better job of getting the ball to them than Hendon Hooker did. I also think this defense is going to be phenomenally better. You look at the talent that they're able to bring back. Taiwan Garbett able to be back. He'll start a defensive end. Devin Hunter will be able to start at safety. I think this is a team that could see a monumental increase in defensive output. I think they could be up to a touchdown better. So that would put them at around 28 and a half, 29 points per game allowed. I think this offense is good enough to deal with that. And again, we, like we said, they're ending this on the road a lot. Virginia Tech's a better road team than they are home team guys. They have proven that time and time again under Justin Fuente. And I think that could actually play into their hands. I don't know what it is, but they are a better team on the road. So I have them going nine and three. I think as of right now in my head, I think they can beat UNC, but I think they will struggle against Notre Dame. I think they'll struggle at Boston College, at Georgia Tech is going to be tough. Um, And I also think at Miami is probably the hardest game of the season. So I have them going nine and three. And before we round everything up and give our final standings, I have a couple prop questions for you guys. Always ended on Virginia Tech props. Real quick, just tell me yes or no, over, under, whatever. Last year, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson, a little bit underproduced in terms of receiving yards of the top two wide receivers. Over or under 1,500 combined receiving yards for Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson? Under. I agree. Under. I think that seems like a lot for two guys who will probably be the second and third receiving options behind James Mitchell. Under. I I don't know if Tavion Robinson gets there because I think he could be pushed a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, 
Irving hit it. I mean, they're going to be looking at James Mitchell. Um, granted, I don't think they're going to run the ball as much with Burmeister. I really, I think they're going to step away from the read option and the RPOs a little bit just because they don't want to risk Burmeister getting the wrong read and getting killed. So I think you might see a little bit more of a drop back kind of play this year. So you'll see you get the ball getting thrown around more. But I mean, I think you're going to be seeing it thrown out of the backfield to like Raheem Blackshear or Keyshawn King. Apparently, he's pretty good receipt. He's he improved and he's a good apparently receiving running back out of the backfield. Um, Jalen Holson obviously is going to be the bruiser. That's going to be the guy that's going to catch uh, run the ball mostly. But um, I think it's going to be just evenly distributed amongst multiple players. And I think that's the only way the team's going to have success. If we're solely relying on Trey Turner and Davion Robinson for production, we're in a lot of trouble. Last season, the Virginia Tech defense gave up an average of 32.1 points per game, over under 28 points per game allowed defensively. Under. under 28. Ooh, I agree. Under 20. That's a tough one. I think yeah, I'll go with a really good defense. I do think that they're going to face some good offenses, but yeah, I'll go under. Yeah, 28's gonna, a lot. Yeah, I'm going to go under. I mean, between Middle Tennessee State, Richmond, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, uh, Duke, um, Virginia, honestly, I don't, I think when you put all those games together, I think Virginia Tech capable of holding those teams well under 28 points. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you're going to, I don't think, for, I don't think this defense is going to allow uh, any, any 50 burgers this year, even really any, maybe 40 burgers except for the first game. So um, yeah. And back to Ed, what Ed was saying about how Justin Hamilton never, you know, he didn't get a chance to implement his stuff. I mean, no, he literally had no chance. I mean, I don't, I don't remember a single game where there wasn't a defensive player, like not they had, where he had a full starting lineup. So that being said, I think it's under. And my final one, guys, we'll end on a fun one. Over or under 30,000 beers consumed inside Lane Stadium for the North Carolina game. That's roughly half a beer per person. And what, the first quarter? Oh, yeah, 30,000 by me or? Right. <laughs> Way over. <laughs> Way over 30. Hammer it. <laughs> over. Uh, I'll take. I'll take. I want them one. to run out of beer. That's what I want to happen. I want them to run out of beer. They might, they might. And I think the price is going to be good. The beer list dropped. There's some good stuff in there. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun time on September 3rd before kickoff for sure. Guys, we're going to wrap everything up. I know we went a bit long, but Hey, we're talking Virginia tech football. We're talking ACC coastal chaos. We love it. We're going to round it out with our final divisional rankings. I'll start it off. My winner for the ACC coastal. I have the Miami hurricanes. Uh, I have them going over at 10 and two on the season and second place. I have Virginia Tech winning the tiebreaker against UNC going nine and three on the season with the over. Aforementioned UNC going nine and three on the under. Pittsburgh, I have in the fourth spot going seven and five, pushing that win total of 7.0. In the fifth spot, I have Virginia going five and seven with the under. In the sixth spot, Georgia Tech five and seven as well with a push. And in the seventh spot, Lonely Duke with a four and eight record hitting the over. I've got. I've got Miami winning the Coastal here, at hitting the over at 10. Uh, right behind them, I've got UNC also hitting the over at 10, but with a 6-2 and two conference record as opposed to a 7-1 and one record for Miami, giving Miami the edge. Um, I've got a three-way tie, or I guess it's a two-way tie for third. I've got Virginia Tech and Pitt both at 7-5. and five. Um, That would be the under for Tech and the push for Pitt. I've got them both at 7-5 and five and 4-4 four and four in the ACC. Then I have Georgia Tech hitting the over at six and six and four and four in the ACC. UVA under at four and eight, 
two and six in the conference. And lastly, I have Duke under three and nine and one and seven in the conference. I don't know about records, so I'll just give it my best shot here. Um, I got Miami, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, UVA, and Duke in that order. I don't know how the records all shape out, but I think that six and two will probably in conference play will probably be the the winning margin with a head-to-head victory with Miami over North Carolina. Chris had to bounce real quick. UNC. Read Chris's. Read Chris's. Okay. I'll grab Chris's real quick. He had to bounce. He has Duke at under three and a half, Georgia Tech under five, Miami under nine and a half, UNC under nine and a half, Pittsburgh under seven, Virginia pushing at six, and Virginia Tech over seven and a half. So not super bullish on the ACC Coastal is Chris. Ed, round us out. UNC winning with Miami in second, followed by Virginia Tech, Pitt, Georgia Tech, UVA, and Duke rounding it out. Hold on. Don't forget about me now, Sam. I know I can say some forgetful things. I, I can't. I never forget about you, Brett. <laughs> but uh, I, I have Miami at nine and three, six and two. And I also have Virginia Tech nine, three and six and two with Miami as the type with the tie breaking win um, at a w- away game, which is really going to sting. But I think that's how it's going to be. Um, I have UNC at eight and four, five and three in the conference. I have Pitt. At seven and five, four and four in the conference. UVA six and six, three and five in the conference. Georgia Tech four and eight, two and six in the conference. And Duke rounding it out at three and nine with a whopping zero wins in the ACC this year. That will wrap everything up for our ACC Coastal preview. You can take it to the bank. Very contentious on this week's pod. Next week, we will cover it nationally. It'll be a bit shorter podcast. We'll cover our college football playoff, our Heisman, our conference winners, some black horse team dark horse teams not black horse teams dark horse teams what am i saying it's late we've been podcasting for a while here guys thank you so much for tuning in see you next week go hokies